All right, so welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have my beautiful co-host, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. I am a sports chiropractor up in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as I do some strength work, and I'm a wrestling coach for Fight Ready and Siege MMA. Today, we're going to do one that's going to be a little bit more tactical skill oriented. And we're going to be talking about our transition from being college wrestlers and being college athletes into going onto the coaching side, going into the healthcare side, going from athlete to support role and what that kind of entails. Because a lot of the times people don't realize that it's, it's not the same and you you need to check your ego at the door, but you also have to, there's certain steps you can take that are going to make you more successful than others. 100%. And I think something else we can touch on too, is just the, the strict technical side of like taking folk style wrestling in a collegiate setting and then starting to learn combat sports and the super multifaceted approach that 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 takes in mixed martial arts um just a quick anecdote when i got my internship at the ufc performance institute one of the first days uh forrest griffin was like all right you're with me we're going to teach this basketball team how to box uh it was unlv and they were having a like a team bonding experience general prep at the um performance institute and you know, one of the first things like we're going to teach him how to box and we get up in front and he's like, all right, throw a combination. And I, I look at him. And I was like, I wrestled in college. Like, I don't know how to box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, all right, well, just, just hold your gloves up. And I like held him like mitts. Right. And then like, he continued to teach and like, and I could help everybody with the grappling part with that. But, you know, as far as striking sports went, I was complete novice, complete newbie. Um, and that's grown since then. But the, point is that having some context and having understanding of the culture, the techniques, the, um, the different game plans that go into mixed martial arts that go into even the individual disciplines like boxing and Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu wrestling, the, everything that goes into those as a practitioner, you need to understand that to understand how to help in your facet, in your capability, whether it's a physical therapist, strength, conditioning coach, technical coach, um, having a wide understanding and experience of those disciplines is going to immensely help your practice and relating to your athletes. Right. It's, it's the whole concept that we, we know from strength and conditioning you, that you got to be a generalist before you're a specialist. You need to understand all of the different facets of mixed martial arts, unless you're only working with jujitsu athletes, like you should take a Muay Thai class. You should like me being a college wrestler, I should take a Muay Thai class. I should learn a little boxing from our boxing coach. I should learn how to hold mitts. I should do some jujitsu because guess what? The biggest thing with wrestlers, do you know how many freaking I'm trying not to swear? <laughs> sorry, Sherry, um, but I probably will. Um, you know how many times that I've been guillotined taking shots? Oh, just run into it every single man. Oh, dude, I, I, he, he listens Fight to this. So give him, yeah, uh, he listens to this. So I give him a shout out. I, I, I fancy myself a pretty good wrestler. I would say I'm, I'm pretty, pretty damn good. And I go, one of my main training partners, like I like, I like going with him. His, his name's Kamawela Kirk. He's a black belt at siege. He's absolute animal on the ground like once he gets into the ufc he'll be one of the best grapplers in the 145 division uh black belt since he was 18 and i i can take him down not at will he's actually a pretty good wrestler but i i i can do my fancy tricks and i can get him to the ground literally i hit him in a low single it took three seconds for me to get guillotined yesterday 
three seconds yeah. from a low single. He doesn't mm. even have his hands down there. I had a beautiful <laughs> misdirection. I swept the arm, put all the weight on one leg. Everything was textbook. I was so happy with myself. I got my two points, which mean <laughs> nothing. I mean absolutely nothing <laughs> and then i got guillotine subsequently that is like, well, at, yeah that is absolutely infuriating like, you know dude, I'm like, like, this, this whole thing is bullshit <laughs> as a collegiate wrestler you know it's that and thing i learned more and more about folks that are wrestling and, and freestyle in general too um it's about takedown it's about you know how you can secure control of both legs and, and and like you take so much pride in that when you're wrestling and you're in it in folk style and and then you get to jujitsu and these guys just sit down and you're like no like even if you're gonna get a takedown i want to do something cool i want to be the guy one time you know stop butt scooting no. that should be the hashtag of 2021 no more butt scoots 2021 and yeah but that just goes into how we can better understand you know the game that we're playing because when i have my wrestling skill set that doesn't transfer into my jiu-jitsu practice and what does you know the and jiu-jitsu guys are going to hate me for quote unquote you know wrestle fucking them but sorry i just can't get over the fact that i just swore i don't usually do that (laughs) (laughs) um but like Literally, the guy that's more active, and you watch the UFC, you watch different jujitsu practices, and like black belts have enough time to be patient and to look things out and to feign what they're doing. But like, the guy that's more active, still in a mediocre jujitsu scramble, is going to get the better position, is going to win, right? Like, no. that's part of wrestling is constantly flow wrestling, changing position, wrestling with your arms and your feet uh, and your legs. Like, that principle still transitions in jiu-jitsu the guys that are more active that's constantly seeking the better position is going to find the better position just the specific techniques and parts of it like blasting your head through on a takedown or, or other things don't carry over um but knowing that stuff helps me understand a, a energy system capacity um how to train some of these guys and then even some of the specific muscle recruitment and functioning patterns in a, a jiu-jitsu practice that i've learned have helped me figure out where and what I can implement or modify in my own strength and conditioning practice because that more active wrestler, the guy that's in uh, the more active jujitsu player, more active grasper, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it, still does have the advantage, like period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And since we're still on the skill, I'll I'll give my breakdown of MMA wrestling just because I, I am a wrestling coach and and I like to get my my thoughts out there and thinking about wrestling transitioning from a wrestler to the MMA style wrestling. Folk style is only good when you're talking about on the ground, throwing in legs real realistically, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not going to tilt somebody in MMA. If you do, God, you're going up against a fucking can. And we've already talked about takedowns and how they're pretty obsolete. Right. Like a lot of leg attacks are only there to get you to the cage. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just happened in my most recent fight that I just coached. Like my guy lost because he kept getting pushed to the cage. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't circling away. He wasn't moving his hips. He wasn't moving his feet. The biggest thing you can do as a wrestler transitioning to MMA is you better up your actual Greco-Roman wrestling chops. Cage wrestling is almost exclusively Greco. You need to learn how to manipulate your hips. You need to learn how to do knee knocks. You need to learn how to off balance. You need to learn how to, how and when to make a pivot point and how and when to make a fulcrum. All these different things are almost exclusively in Greco-Roman. That's the best way to learn it. While you do go after a leg, maybe you, maybe you elevate a hip and you go for that single, or may, maybe you go for a dump. Like you start on a body lock, you slide down to, and you do a dump off the cage. But at the end of the day, a lot of MMA wrestling 
is Greco-Roman. Think about Dan Henderson. Think about Randy Couture. Think about Matt Linland. All these different guys from an era back where a lot of casual fans now don't know who they are, but they were they were extremely high level and they were they were the top of the line guys for a reason because their cage wrestling literally was was some of the best that's ever been out there. Yeah. And and nowadays just as as a casual fan in the UFC like watching cage wrestling is so infuriating because you know that if a guy has, you know, a Greco-Roman background and I see a lot of the the combat sambo guys or some of the judo guys be able to take so much advantage of this because yep. any takedown off the cage should be easy if you know how to manipulate hips and center gravity. Like Yep, 100% it, it, it should be. And I mean, I I've exposed myself just a little bit to it in jujitsu classes when I'm up against the wall or whatever, but like the principles stay the same, you know, you're, you're more active, you get your center of gravity underneath theirs and you can lift all day. Um, one of the guys, the best guys that I've seen recently that I got the opportunity to work with is Mark Madsen, right? <laughs> Dude, it, it's a savage. It, yeah. <laughs> savage wrestler before he came into the UFC, but like yeah. that dude takes down and he takes down violently. Right. And and it's all off the cage, hips under his opponents and like throws for days. And again, those principles still carry over. Like, I don't know. I I get infuriated watching cage wrestling a lot of the times. And granted, I'm not in the position to actually coach people out of that or um, to see that. Yes. Yeah, there you go. I would love to be um, get to that point in my wrestling coaching. But it's it's just frustrating to watch. Factory X hit my boy up. Um, no. So I, I would almost go as far now that I know more about it. I've, I've basically been working with fight ready. What I, what I lovingly call, it's like my, re- my version of residency. Yeah. Like I, I've been working with fight ready and learning the ropes about all the stuff I don't know for the last year. And, uh, the one, the one thing that I, I could actually defend is that cage wrestling in itself is its own discipline of wrestling. Like there's, I, I would argue that with anybody because it's so different. The fact that there's a bounce off the cage, the fact that you can manipulate gravity by pushing in, pushing out, and them not just staying there. There's no pushouts. The fact that you can go high, low, the fact that you, you have that barrier of resistance that eliminates the other person on, on the cage's defense, but also holds them up when you go for certain techniques. You notice how not a lot of people can double drive through. Like you, you can't do like a bar cigar on the cage. It's yeah. really, really hard. Because you can't drive backwards. The cage is there. You have to try to go through them, in which case they circle their hips off. So there's all these different little nitpicky things that like, in reality, cage wrestling is its own separate designation of wrestling. It's just like freestyle, just like Greco, just like folk style. It's its own separate entity. And the fact that we don't train it as such, and there's no cage wrestling specialists. I know Dominic Cruz just came out with his cage wrestling series, but the, like the fact that that's not a separate designation is, is kind of mind blowing to me because cage wrestling wins fights. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'm just having fresh thought as you're thinking about that. And as I don't know, geek out as strength coaches can get about uh, vertical ground reactive force during sprinting and things. And, and you, you kind of peak this when we're talking about the cage giving something back. You think about a horizontal reaction force, right? And, or horizontal, you know, multiplanar force. But there is that pushback that you can utilize and that a lot of good MMA wrestling or grappling uh, athletes have utilized for takedowns off the cage and when people just sweep both legs out from under. Um, but no, that, I think that opens up a whole new avenue of thought into a horizontal force production and rebound um, in my strength conditioning lens. But 
Um, exactly like you're talking about in a specific lens. We have that outlet, that specific branch of wrestling that needs to be fully developed and fleshed out. Well, and we, we it goes down to, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to continue to the other stuff we want to talk about, but it comes down to, look, MMA is the only sport that doesn't have a fucking playbook. Football playbook, baseball playbook, NBA playbook. All these different things, like I've said it on here before and I'll say it again, like Andy Galpin says it really, really well. It's you got to be a cook before you're a chef. You got to know the flow chart before you can freestyle. And that that has to occur with cage wrestling. It's got to occur with everything. But like if you you've wrestled with me, we were teammates when I'm when I have when I have a crossbody ride on top, like you've seen me do it before. I don't have my eyes open. Yeah. I, I close my eyes and I'm thinking about my flow chart based off of what the opponent's doing when they're on bottom. Okay. I'm literally relying on the flow chart that I'm looking at in my brain that, oh, he sat out. Okay, I'm going to go after a guillotine. Oh, he's going to try to elevate up. Then I'm going to throw the other boot in. Oh, he's going to elevate up, but his feet are close together. Guess what? You're getting banana split, bitch. Like that, that's literally what I'm thinking about in my head. And you need to have that for every different facet. And then once you have that, you, that's when you can freestyle, that's when you can get a little froggy and you can make up your own moves and all these different things. But if you don't have the basics down, if you don't have a plan a through, I would honestly say a plan a through F for every situation that's coming at you, you've already lost because you're somebody, somebody out there does. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you spend your whole career becoming a better mixed martial artist because you have all of these different disciplines to add to that plan and that flowchart, but you have to be to a certain level, to a certain degree, master of each discipline to get that flowchart, to get that plan, right? Like um, and I think it was Joe Rogan I was listening to talk about this. Like when you get to the highest belt, the master of sport of your specific discipline, that's when your study of the sport starts. You know, just because you get to a black belt in jujitsu, that doesn't mean you know everything about jujitsu. Once you get to a black belt, that's when you get to open up the the pages of the book and, and to really start to flow and get it right. So that's when, that's when you get to make Gracie jujitsu. That's when you get to make Alex Friedman jujitsu. That's when you yeah. get to really freestyle and, and you get to make it, make yeah. stuff up. Yeah, that happens in every discipline though. It's not just jujitsu. It's not just wrestling. It's not just combat sambo. It's not just you know Muay Thai and everything. But a beautiful mixed martial arts has this flow chart and these options in every discipline, right? Right. And and you will always have your strengths and your specialties and and everything. I'm thinking like a Conor McGregor and striking versus Khabib and grappling, but you still expand in that other category and and bring up and round out your game. Um, right. Well, and to to bring in a practical application to to talking to all the coaches and to the athletes that do listen, one way to get skill acquisition on this and to make this a viable step and you can have a step forward is you should write down your pathways. You actually writing pen to paper is going to increase your skill acquisition. It's going to increase retention. It's going to do all these different things that like, that's what I, that's honestly what I did is I had, I have an entire notebook. I can share it with whoever wants to see it. And it's in my handwriting. It's in a pen and paper. And I wrote down just a flow chart of when I have a crossbody ride, this is what I do. When I have you with a near wrist, this is what I do. I did it for when I was learning our our coach Eddie Chaz, our striking coach, and he he has a very complex but extremely extremely useful striking system that he does. It's it's not for the faint of heart, but it can turn good fighters into the champions of the world. That that's kind of how I see it. And I literally just wrote I wrote down a flow chart because I don't understand striking that well. I, I get it on the base level because I've tried to learn it. 
And my, I, my guys deserve for me to learn that if I'm going to be a mixed martial arts coach, but I don't, I'm not a striking coach. So what I did is I literally listened to him and I wrote down in different colors and different pathways, all of his, like, he's got some called an X. He's got some called like, I'm, I'm not going to give everything away. Cause that's, that's our team stuff. But like, he's got all these different factors. And then I wrote a flow chart and then in the flow chart, I put, all right, we, we run this certain combination. Oh, guess what? We can do a duck under right into our body lock and put them to the cage there. And that's in my flow chart that I wrote down in different colors, signifying different attacks, whether it's grappling, striking, kicking, whatever it may be. And you don't have to get that in depth, but like, that's the level of thought that you should have. That's what it takes to be a professional athlete. The fact that like, I don't even compete and I'm doing this just because I want to help my athletes better because I know that's what helps retention. You get that. Those are the steps that make you go from good to great. And, and that's what it takes to be a Trevor Whitman, a great coach and see all these things and all these pathways that lead to that. It'll make you a better practitioner. Yes. It'll make you better at your cage wrestling and your things, but it'll give you ammo as a coach to design practices, to create progressions, to, you know, put those combinations together. That's not just, well, you know, this is what I've seen. Right. Right. And, and I, I have two good examples on that. Like Trevor Whitman's a good example, but two people that have done pause, <clears throat> two people that have done what I, what I'm talking about is Eddie Bravo with 10th planet. Guess what? The most successful, like outside of the name Gracie, yeah. the most successful jujitsu system in the entire world, because there's a system in place. And he wrote down, like, I've seen the back end. He has an app. I've seen the back end of the app. Cause I was talking with the guy that runs the 10th planet gym out here and he was showing me what it looks like. And I'm like, Holy shit. This is why everybody does 10th planet because there's a goddamn system. And then the same thing. And, and at there, that's why 10th planet works uh, that and Eddie and Joe are friends and he gets free publicity on the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, but, but Eddie's also a mastermind in making flow charts and making, making charts to help make people go from nothing to cooks. And then from there, it's on them to become the chef. And then the other person is John Donaher, the, the leg lock specialist out in, in uh, New York. Like he wasn't the first person to do a leg lock. He was the first person to have a system based around leg locks that turns his guys into fucking savages. Assassins, there's, dude. there's a reason why they're called the Donaher death squad. And it's because they just snatch souls. Mm-hmm. It, like you look, he, there was a picture I saw recently with all the guys, Gary tone and Gordon Ryan, Nikki Ryan, uh, um, I'm forgetting a couple there. There was seven people there. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, these dudes are fire. These dudes are savages. And it, John Donaher wasn't, he wasn't the best person out there. He wasn't, the, he wasn't uh Hidalgo Vieira. He wasn't the black belt snatcher. He was, he wasn't tank. Who's, who's down in Phoenix that I've gotten to roll with a little bit, but he put a system to it and he's like an evil genius. And the only reason he's an evil genius, yes, he can see stuff in real time, but the evil genius of it all is that he literally just made flow charts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, I think the the first step to that, if, if you're not into those positions, you're like, say you don't have a black belt or you, you create progressions and you create just step-by-step approaches to master a certain skill. You know, I, in my head, I think of strength and conditioning and I, I've been doing a lot of this in my gym. Maybe that's why I have progression stuck in my mind, but you know, how do I get somebody that's, you know, has a piss poor squat into a great front squat? You know, I, I take the steps to teach them my hands away, push squat, a, a hands assisted squat, and then do goblet squat and, and so on. But it, you think of the same thing, giving somebody a foundation into the sport and that foundation as a practitioner is what's going to help you understand the sport and help you get how multifaceted, right? Yeah. Um, moving 
moving on from that, because I could talk about that forever. I could talk about the fact that everything needs a flow chart forever. Moving from that into one. Well, so yeah, but we already did a whole podcast on that, bro. <laughs> well, we, we talked a lot about, you know, work capacity and workload management, but we didn't talk about um, tactical, tactical specific skill system. I know. System. That's maybe, another. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's own, maybe it's own podcast. Maybe it's but, own uh, project as we grow into it. True. True. Um, but talking about like the, what about your transition from college athlete to high, high level strength coach? How do you, how do you scratch that itch? I know you said you do jujitsu, like, but you weren't doing that forever. So what were you doing to scratch that itch? No, it's, it, it was an interesting path for me too. And I think a lot of, I mean, strength coaches in general, I think the reason you become a strength coach is because you like the weight room and you like to train um, for the most part. And then you grow and obviously get outside of that. But I, I went from loving wrestling and giving my all and competing and getting as the best I can at wrestling to my own wrestling breaking down and me seeing a lot of flaws within that. And the circumstance that I went pushed me away from the sport. And then I love the training aspect. I still wanted that high intensity brotherhood and, and um, training room experience. And I found that within the weight room. Uh, so for a while coming right out of undergrad, uh, training strength, powerlifting, weightlifting, anything I could get my hands on in the weight room was scratching that itch. And so point in my, in my training history where I grew a ton in my understanding of the sports of powerlifting and weightlifting and in how the weight room culture is conducted and, and things like that, which again, makes me a better strength coach, but it also limited my capacities as an athlete. You know, I was I was, you know, giving my low back to get higher numbers in my squat. I was giving this to compensate and perform as something I thought was worthwhile at the time, um, which we all do to an extent. Right, but right. I'm getting to the back end of that where I see the downfalls and and I much rather value myself as an athlete rather than a weightlifter or rather right. that could offend people saying that weightlifting is not an athletic sport. But getting out of that <laughs> mindset and valuing myself more as somebody that can move in free flow and um, pursue different objectives that keep be, your be mind a human. Yeah, exactly. And so I've stepped back away from the weight room and, and started to value more into the jujitsu and into learning actual striking and new skills. I mean, shit, I started skateboarding just as something that I can learn and, and see from a different athletic lens. Um, yeah. Not that I, and I think whatever, however you spin it, that can make you a better coach. Um, but specifically, if you're going to serve the MMA population, you owe it, like you said, to your athletes and to yourself to start to understand the disciplines and, and understand not only the physical capacities, the technical, the techniques and the, you know, nuances of that, but understand the culture of the sport as well. I think that hundred percent is going to gain you leverage as a coach and help you connect to athletes better. Like if I wasn't a wrestler, I wouldn't understand and I, did, I wouldn't get it um, when I train MMA athletes or wrestlers. Um, just like from a different experience, when I'm a strength coach and I'm coaching lacrosse kids, lacrosse has its own culture like out of this world. <laughs> I do not understand those kids. You're a lax bro, bro. I don't bro. understand that shit. That, that is over my head. But it's the same thing. You know, if I, if I was a division one college basketball player, me as a wrestler, I'm going to think like, who does it, who is it? Why does this guy have a right to coach me? Right. So yeah, yeah. interweaving that discipline into your practice gives you a frame of reference and an understanding of where your athletes at mentally and psychologically and how they're going to attack this problem. Right. Because, you know, if I'm growing up as a wrestler MMA guy and my coach tells me, 
you know, this one thing, it'll help you. Like you're not getting enough hip extension, blah, blah, blah. Me, I'm going to do that every single day. I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to hammer it and probably to a decrement. So understanding that and seeing that as a practitioner, I can kind of dose my training or my um, prescription or my, however I choose to advise my athlete. Well, that leads us into a good point that we've mentioned briefly on the podcast, but that you don't have to be a high performing athlete in the sport you want to work with. Right. If you're a strength coach, if you're, you just need to have a want for knowledge. You you need, you need to have uh, I'm going to butcher his quote, but he's your, your dude at the PI. Yeah, it's, Dr. you don't, coach. you don't need, yeah, you don't need to have, you don't need to ha- have a PhD to be a good coach. You have to have a PhD level of inquiry to be a good coach. Yep. And that's, I, I think I actually crushed that by the way. That was, that was good. Um, yeah. Um, I'm proud of myself. So, but What's you, new? You, what is new Austin? <laughs> True, but you, you don't need to be a college wrestler to work with wrestlers. You need to want to learn about college wrestling and how you can best benefit them. Same Mm -hmm. thing with mixed martial arts. I never fought. I've never stepped foot in a cage. And I know that some people look down on me. I, I've heard people that have said things I've heard people. I I know people are like, well, why the fuck am I going to listen to you? You never fought. Mm -hmm. That's their own opinion. And Mm -hmm. you, you can't work your way around that. But the people that are going to listen to you, as long as you're doing your job, if your job, like my job is to be the best healthcare strength coach and wrestling coach I can be and learn about everything else so that I can mix what I do into the rest of their training. Mm -hmm. As long as I'm doing my job and doing it to the best of my abilities and really trying to learn and trying to inquire about where I have deficiencies and where my athletes have deficiencies, then that's, that's all you need to get into the working with the sport. And that doesn't just go for MMA that goes for football, that goes for golf, that goes for basketball. Like, I don't know, like I've never played football a day in my life. And I was working with one of the guys in the Falcons and I literally like, I would just ask him he's a lineman i just ask him questions about i like about being a lineman i ask him questions about what what his sport entails because i could watch all the film in the world i've I've seen him on the field i've seen him playing on sunday and i don't know what the fuck is going on yeah because i never did it but but the only way to learn is i i did my outside research i looked up the skills analysis and all these different things and i also asked him you can't be ashamed to ask your athletes things. You can learn from your athletes as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> God, I, I, I love that. I love that quote. I love that having the, the humility and then just swallowing your ego enough to let your athlete such. Um, I got quite a few tangents to go on here, but um, one of the best things I saw and I follow Austin Jokum and uh, Yoakum, excuse me. Um, and I've listened to his podcast a few times, but he's like, you know, we were doing a, a drill where one athlete has to get around the other athlete and get to the cone, right? And it's just working on um, change of direction and curvy linear stuff. And he's like, and then my lineman came up to me and said, this drill would be a lot better if this happened. You know, as a coach, your initial instinct is like, no, I had this plan. I made this to to elicit a certain response. And it's like, no, have the humility to understand that that person is in the trenches every day and they understand what's going on. So, you know, change the drill. And at the end of the day, what difference is it going to make where that cone is positioned? Right. So nothing. Yeah. So it's a huge humility point that you can learn from your athletes and that they have a unique insight. Um, The other thing, go to practice, man, regardless of your uh, position as a support staff, whether you're a chiropractor, physical uh, athletic trainer, physical therapist, you know, strength coach, you have no idea what it means to the athletes when you go to practice and when you genuinely want to be there and take part. 
Um, that's a huge lesson that I learned when I was at the University of Denver. I, would, I had responsibility for programming strength and conditioning for the diving team. Okay, you want to know how much diving experience that I have other than going to the pool and jumping off the as high as I could off the um, diving board? It? Yeah, diving board, right? Mind blank. Crazy, I know. <laughs> but I knew nothing. And I went to two practices a week. All right, the total two hours, two and a half hours. I went to two practices a week. These athletes loved it. You know, I, I was asking, you know, what this means, what's the terminology, um, what's the specific position. And like, and you could use that in your training or you can hold to your philosophy too. But like, it creates all this buy-in that people talk about. And I think buy-in's got a bad term because a lot of people use the motivation of getting buy-in to persuade you to my way, right? Where genuine buy-in is actually investing in your athletes and genuinely wanting to understand and learn from them and do the best for them. But that's one way to genuinely build that term. Well, and that goes for skill coaches as well. Like skill coaches should want to go to the weight room and see what's going on with their athletes. Like that's, that's something like I have a lot of like, and I'm fine saying it because I've said it to everybody. Like I have a lot of praise for our coaching staff. I think we have one of the top coaching staffs in the entire world and I'll, I'll put them against anybody, but I've offered them to, I've offered every single person to come in and watch what I do. And, and nobody, nobody's ever taken me up on it. And I, I just don't understand it's yeah. that's what, that's one of those things I don't get because it, it, as a coach, you should want to know every single facet of what's going on in order to help your athlete. That, and maybe, maybe that, maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe that's all that's what i think about but like yeah. i i genuinely want to know why they're doing certain mechanisms i want to know what in what pressure point on the toe they pressure when they're throwing a hook versus a cross i need to know that in order to do my job as a strength coach yeah i need to know what type of foot loading is going on so that i can try to mimic that when the foot do i need to do kickstands or do i need to do a barefoot or do i need to do mm-hmm. a heel elevated that that helps me as a strength coach the same can be said for a skill coach you should see what's going like you should see what's going on with the energy system development you should see what's going on with the strength development you should understand these mechanisms and to be fair one of our coaches santino defranco has has asked me about this and he he actually sent me like a couple different articles and asked me what my opinions were and we have discussions on this back and forth and that's why i love tino like we get, that's why we get along so well. Cause he is in quite like inquiries about it. Inquiries. Is that a word? Not what inquisitive. 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 And, but nothing can ever supplement like you're saying going to the practice because it doesn't just mean a lot to the other coach. It doesn't just make the other coach feel special, which it really, that really doesn't fucking matter. It makes mm-hmm. the athletes feel special. It makes the athlete feel like you've invested into them. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. They, the athlete wants to know that their coach is just as invested in, in them as they are in their coach and in their team. And that's what builds culture. Yeah. Well put. Uh, beautifully said. And so going on that, I don't think I can uh, do any justice and add to that. Yeah. I want to go into <laughs> a quick lightning round, if you will. And we'll talk just about our wrestling experience. Um, I'm going to hit you with some questions and maybe it'll spark some thought or whatever you want to stop me and talk. Let's do it. But hit me think, up, homie. Yeah. I think it'll be a good just insight into how we function or who we, who we've been. Um, so that being said, what was your go-to takedown? Uh, as a wrestler. I didn't shoot. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so take nah. that defense. <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, scrambling. No, uh, if I if I had if if there were ten seconds on the line and I needed to score, I'd hit. I had low singles all day. Yep. I, I could I could get at least get to an ankle on almost everybody. Yep. What about um, you? Oh, um, blast double majority of my career, and then later in my career, I transferred to an underhook series. Um, nice underhook series was a little more variety, a little more viable, but. 
man, there's nothing better than trucking somebody in a blast double. <laughs> and it's a football a, player in you. I am a Jordan Burroughs fan through and through. Um, that being said, who's your favorite? Um, either back in the day when you were wrestling, who'd you look up to, or who's your favorite wrestler? I got two. So Amer, I have. I feel like if you if you follow wrestling, you need to have an American favorite and then a worldwide favorite. If you don't have that, you don't really follow wrestling. Like I, I hate to break it to you. Um, so my American favorite and who I modeled a lot of my wrestling around was Ben Askren. Everybody that's wrestled yeah. me knows everybody who wrestled me knows that I wrestled at like a worse version of Ben, to be yeah. completely honest with you. Um, and then internationally, my favorite wrestler ever is a, a Russian. He actually was Russian. And then I switched later in his career to, I don't remember if it was Azerbaijan or Uzbekistan, one of the two, uh, Mavlet Batarov or Batirov, if you prefer to pronounce it that way. I think it's actually Batarov, um, but he's a 55 kilogram wrestler out of he was in russia and he's just he's so slick his weight distribution and his weight his understanding of his opponents where their where their weight was in their stance was second to none i think he only won one or two world titles i don't think he ever won the olympics but watch watch like what shut up you know what i mean (laughs) um but you like, you know, when you like, I've talked about before where like, I truly do believe that like wrestling is an art form wrestling, wrestling in combat sports is an art. You should be like, once you get to become past that chef phase, that's when you get to be an artist. Yeah. And, and he watching him, I like, I, I, I'm smiling as I say this, you guys can't see me. Like I would smile watching him wrestle because he's such an artist. Like it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch what he could do with his body and not just his body, what he could manipulate another person of his same weight in space and what he could do to them without them even knowing it happened. And it it was, he's bar none, my favorite wrestler. Nice. What is the number one folk style wrestling technique that you think directly transfers into MMA grappling? Um, leg riding. Yeah, folks. Yeah, leg leg riding yeah. for sure, and and not just not just two. Uh, you also cross body rides. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of jujitsu people dis- disagree with me on that, but uh, I feel that even though I'm not super experienced with jujitsu yet, mm-hmm. I've rolled with enough jujitsu people. If you have a good crossbody hook and you can isolate their hip to the ground and also then go after the far side shoulder from a biomechanics standpoint, they're fucked for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. Like yeah. they, they are, they're flat and then you can go to ground and pound. Then you can do all these different things. You can go risk control if you so choose. So probably having, getting really, really good with your hooks, but not just two hooks. Also the crossbody ride with one hook too. Nice. What is the number one lesson you learned from the level of wrestling that you got to, whether it's bleeding in the national scene or at uh, UW lacrosse where you were at? Um, life number, lesson. number one life lesson. Honestly, I learned it when I was young. Um, I attribute a lot and uh, we've talked about this off air a lot, but I attribute a lot of where I'm at and how not to sound cocky, but how successful I've become in, in life and getting my doctorate when I was 24, that type of stuff to Hector Gomez and Gomez Wrestling Academy and teaching teaching me how to not just work hard, but how to persevere past, um, I guess, how to persevere past roadblocks. Cause like, I'm like, if you've, again, if you've wrestled with me or you know me, like I'm not an athlete, never have been, never will be. I'm a wrestler. And I say that to everybody that I meet. And it's funny that I teach people how to be athletic now, but um, I'm a wrestler and and being not an athlete in a sport, no matter what sport comes with roadblocks, you you need to learn your own way to do things. 
And, and Hector really pushed me to, he challenged me to find my own path and to always go forward. And he, his famous lines, there's a bunch of them, but his famous lines are, nobody gives a fuck work harder. Right. <laughs> like your parents can't save you now. And I'm like, Ooh, that's how I know this is going to be a rough <laughs> practice. <laughs> no, that's funny. And, and I think that's funny too, because I have, a very similar outlook, but coming from a very different, like almost an inverse background. Right. I was, I was a good wrestler because I was a good athlete. Like, yeah, I yes. was, like completely flip-flopped. Um, and, and I owe a lot of my athletic prowess to my genetics. Right. But right. also to how hard I trained and I, the, the work that I put in outside of the wrestling room. And, you know, looking back, I think I, obviously could have emphasized the wrestling room more in my training, but to persevere and to create your own way and to, you know, hustle through and not in just the sense of like working hard or grinding through it or doing whatever, but working hard to a unique um, and questioned goal or a question state, like taking the, the meat and potatoes, right. The, the grind and wrestling, the weight cutting the everything else. And, seeing what you can do beyond just outworking somebody. How can I outwork them in this capacity? Can I be a more powerful athlete? Is that how I'm going to get ahead? Or is it my relentless conditioning that's going to get me, you know, the third period, you know, tip or three points that's going to put me over the edge? Or, you know, is it just a, a strategy where I can grind somebody on the mat and then take them down four times to win the match? Like seeing those physical capacities and how they matched up with the, the, tactical part of the sport um, became something that I applied into my everyday life. I love thinking differently about big problems. You know, and, yeah, 100%. and like you said, if somebody gets to know me or talks to me, I spend very little time thinking about the day-to-day operation of things. Like I understand that that's the small details and that's very important, but I like to think big. I like to think, how can I change this whole way of thinking and make mm-hmm. it better? Right. Not because I'm, you know, working harder and, and doing it more, but because I'm bringing in a different influence or I'm changing the system in some capacity that nobody's ever combined or thought about. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's where I want to stay with all my conversations. And I get that that's too hypothetical and, um, meta for the few people that i talk to like austin but that's where i uh bro you know i'm an innovator i'm an innovator (laughs) homie you know that i care nothing about the day-to-day which is totally bad for a business owner to say that but (laughs) but the other thing i won't go very long on this but the other thing that wrestling's really taught me and and has helped me a lot through my whole life is like i'm out there whether it's business whether it's a personal whatever whether it's wrestling like i'm out there to drown a motherfucker mm-hmm. like like it's and that's that's got its pluses and its minuses like mm-hmm. but w- when i'm on when i'm on the mat with you and i'm actually like look you pissed me off like let's fucking go like because mm-hmm. now i now i can't do that now if i do that it, like it's it's not good for a coach to do that unless unless the athlete needs it right but or you need to feel good about yourself yeah. Or I need a confidence booster. <laughs> um, but no, like, honestly, I, I haven't let that go in an entire year of me being at fight ready. I haven't let that killer instinct go, but like, like in business, that's something that I, I pride myself on when yeah. my, the way my business runs is it, like, we're cool. And I, I love everybody. I won't say a bad word about anybody till I meet them and they've wronged me. But if you wrong me, I'm coming at your motherfucking ass and yeah. I am going to drown you. Right. And, and that's a huge mindset too. It's like, it's not like I, I'm, I need, you know, specifically to kill you, but I'm better than you. Like, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, like improve differently if you can. Yeah, well, and and that exactly, and that's the thing. It's it's not like I'm trying to like I say. I know that sounds harsh, and I feel like everybody listening to this knows combat sports, and they know like it's just an Iowa mentality. That's how mm-hmm. that's what people say it as. But like, it sounds harsh. But like, it when everything in life you learn in wrestling, like there there's no other sport in the world. I guess outside of like MMA, but like there's no other sport in the world where there's a very clear winner and loser at the end of this. Yeah, like. There, there are no participation trophies in wrestling because somebody wins and somebody loses and you can tell very clearly. And that that's a good thing that I've, I've loved about that sports that's helped me not just as an athlete and give me that killer instinct, but it's helped me as a business. It's helped me as a human. It's helped me realize that competition's healthy. Yeah. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not healthy. Sometimes I take it too far. I do take it too far a lot of the times, but when you're, when you're a young entrepreneur or you're the head coach of a team and you're not, not me, but a certain situation, like you're the head coach of a team and you're 28 and you just got a high school gig and you're trying to make a name for yourself. Uh, like you got to have a killer instinct. If you don't have yeah. a killer instinct, you're going to be the middle of the pack forever. You got to have yeah. that drive to be like, Listen here, I'm when I'm I'm in charge now. Yeah, I love it. And I I am the captain now. <laughs> to bounce off that point, and I know we're talking a lot about just you know personal anecdotes and, and life lessons, but I think that's important as a part of sport because you know sport forever is built upon the myth of training makes you a better human or like sports or build character, right? Sports don't build character unless you treat them that way and your coaches genuinely accept that and integrate them into your process. Right. Like, and I think that's something that in wrestling specifically, it's, it's hard to fake, right. And no wrestling coach can stand there and be obese and overweight and then tell, you know, athletes that they need to cut weight, you know, like you need to have been in it and you need to have learned these lessons in order to pass them on. And, and wrestling is a super raw and genuine sport in that sense. I think, uh, but one of the main lessons that I took away and I, I kind of bouncing off yours too, is you're going out there on the mat, you're alone. Like it's on me, period. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I've transferred that idea into anything professionally, personally that I, that I've approached and that I've done is regardless of what happens, I'm the one in control. I'm reacting to it, or I'm creating this scenario, right? If, if I'm not happy with how something played out, I could have done something different either to avoid the situation, to uh, act differently or to anticipate it or to do something like it takes all the infuriation of, you know, I'm the victim. It takes all the victimhood away because, you know, it's on me, right? It's, it's my ownership and my journey to react to those things and to see how they impact me rather than it's this outside circumstance. Like I'm not ignorant to, I'm not in control of the world. I can't make these decisions, but I can on a personal level, hone my mind and hone my body and how I react. Yeah, for sure. It, you're, you're self-aware and you have self-responsibility. Right. And I think you can't, again, Two things you can't avoid in wrestling. Yeah, exactly. So what else you, what else you got for me? What, man, I think light- that's, I think that's a hell of a podcast and, and a good, you know, deep note to finish it on. And again, if you guys have lessons that you've learned through your combat sport experience, you guys have stuff that, that wrestling's taught you, I, I, you know, multiple people and anybody that you talk to in wrestling, they say, Oh, wrestling, their life or wrestling's changed their life. And, and the same thing can be said about jujitsu and mixed martial arts. So, Share with us your stories. Let us know what's what's going on, what has impacted your life most about this, you know, crazy sport that we're all fanatics of that we get to participate in and get to be practitioners for. Get to beat up our friends in. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly I'm beating up Austin, if anybody's curious, but that's, that's not that's not true. <laughs> and anybody know, not- that li- 
Anybody that listens knows that. <laughs> <laughs> now he's a big 170 pounder and thinks he can he can hang with me, but uh, 172. <laughs> yeah, weak. I'm getting but, down there actually. I'm getting back to uh, hopefully getting back to 180. Yeah, dude, I felt a little chubby actually recently. I got to get back down to like <laughs> like 165. That's a good healthy weight for me. Uh, yeah, but, all in good time. You're going on on that note. Talking about my fat. Um, <laughs> If you guys, if you guys like what you're listening to, please either subscribe, either leave us a review, share it with your friends. Um, something I'm proud about is that we we've recently had an uptick in listeners. I'm so happy to hear that because that means what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do, the movement we're trying to make is working. Um, and it, uh, the word is getting out there and, and we're trying to just make coaches better in the entire sport because yeah. a rising tide lifts all boats. But the only way we do that is if you guys keep sharing and keep talking and leave us those, leave us those likes, leave us those reviews and to, to get our name out there because it really does help. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, what, what helps us helps, helps everybody else because right. that allows a lot more, a lot more people to hear the message. Right. Um, but if you guys got to get in contact with us, shoot us an email or a DM, both of those are going to be in the show notes. Um, and, as always, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. So, Dr. Austin. Alex Rubin. Thank you all. We out. We out.